A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, welcome to another episode of Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis. I'm the host of the show, and my guest today is someone named Bradley Cooper. So excited to be here. Thank you. Uh, you're in a comedy movie right now. Let's mm. talk uh, comedy movies. I love Wedding Crashers. I've seen it three times. Oh, thank you. Were you in that? Hello, and welcome to The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and this week on the show, I talked to comedian, podcaster, and director Scott Ackerman. Scott is the host of the very popular Comedy Bang Bang podcast, and as we talked about on this show, I actually wrote an oral history of that podcast for its 500th episode a few years ago. I got to talk to Scott and so many other great comedians who have been on that show over the years. At the same time, Scott has been making Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis for over a decade. And now he's directed Between Two Ferns, the movie, which started streaming on Netflix this past Friday. In our talk today, there are so many good stories about the many celebrity cameos in that movie, as well as what it was like to direct Obama uh, and Hillary Clinton and uh, a lot of other great people on the series over the years. Uh, Before we get to Scott, I want to ask everyone to please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts for this show. Uh, Let us know what you've been enjoying and uh, who else you want to hear on the show. But for now, let's go to my conversation with Scott Ackerman. Well, uh, it's good to see you, Scott. Um, Good to see you. The last time I saw you was at Earwolf. Um, You you very graciously let me sit in on the 500th taping of Comedy Bang Bang, which was a thrill for me. Was it a thrill for you? Yeah, it was really fun. It was mostly me sitting in the corner trying not to laugh uh, audibly so no one would know I was there. Um, And trying not to creep everyone out. Yeah, and, which uh, I, I'm not sure I succeeded at that. You were that, not unsuccessful but. at that, and uh, <laughs> but you were successful at the not laughing. You you yeah. just glared at us the yeah, entire time. Yeah, very serious, very serious. And shook your fist threateningly, which was <laughs> added to the creepiness factor. Yeah, um, but that was when I was I was writing an oral history of Comedy yes, Bang Bang on the, right. the 500th episode, which was a very fun project. I talked to like... I think 30 to 30 or 40 different people have been on the show over wow. those years. Um, which Crazy. Was the most people I've ever talked to for one article, I think. So that was. And in your entire life. And yeah, yeah. You've talked yeah. to, you were telling me before the show, you've talked to 38 people total in your yeah, life, in including life, your parents. Including my parents and, and you. And the 30 that you've yeah, ta- talked yeah. to for that oral exactly, history. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting um, stats. <laughs> So, but that was that was fun, and thank you for for letting me sit in on the show. I'm, I don't know, yeah. how, I don't know how often that happens. You know, a civilian sitting in on a, a non-comedy a bang bang. <laughs> <laughs> Very rarely, but uh, it happens, and uh, you're one of the chosen few. Yeah, and since so that was a couple years ago, and now you're, you've passed uh, 600 episodes. Yeah, what, what are you at now? 600 and 630, yeah. 40 somewhere. Around and the there. T- and the 10 year mark that was a big milestone yeah. too. Yeah, we did a 10 hour episode for the 10 year anniversary. 10 hours straight, where you just 10 hours for... on the dot to the yeah. second. Wow. Yeah. yeah. 
And how was that? Uh, was that fun or was it exhausting or all of the above? It was or? good. It just was. It was a huge project that I didn't get the idea for until right before it had to <laughs> happen. So it was a mad scramble. Basically, the idea was, you know, I really wanted to do something to sort of honor the legacy of all of the incredible performers that have been on Comedy Bang Bang, and mm-hmm. so I reached out to people who. Uh, had been a big presence on the show throughout the years, either in the early years or the later years or the in-betweens, um, and just said, hey, do you mind coming down and at your leisure, you know, on your time and your schedule and just, you know, doing talking to me for 10 minutes and we'll fit it into the episode somewhere? Um, and what I thought was going to be 10 minutes and a few people, because people would be busy, mm-hmm. everyone RSVP'd wanted to do it. And then everyone came in and started improving and it turned into like half an hour with yeah. everyone. And so we just said, you know, for the 10-year anniversary, let's make it 10 hours long and not edit anything out <laughs> and just, you know, have it be the world's longest podcast. Did you, do you know if you succeeded? Is, is it the world's longest podcast? Yeah, we did. Um, and I have no factual uh, basis to say that, but uh, get, I'm, I'm get, pretty get, sure we did. Get Guinness on the line and uh, yeah. find out. We're, we're getting Guinness on the line and we're finding out, just like what you said. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can say with uh, every confidence that, yeah, we are uh, mm. the, the world record holder in that regard. So uh, you said, you know, at that point at the at the 500 um, episodes that you would that you would keep doing it as long as it's fun. Comedy Bang Bang. Yeah, you, and I'm uh, here how- to announce it is no longer fun, <laughs> and this is my last podcast. Oh. <laughs> I know this I should it. have done a Comedy Bang Bang be the last podcast, but I just thought your episode yeah, and your right. show is a little wow. better of a platform. I appreciate that. That's very nice. Um, <laughs> But uh, how are you feeling about it these days, uh, the show? I feel good. I just did one yesterday, and it was super fun. And, you know, when it when it's fun, it's really great. And um, we've been on tour as well, and oh, I just yeah, got yeah. back from the second leg of the tour. And that's so great. And, you know, a couple of thousand people at each show and standing ovations, and it's just like – um, the people I'm I'm performing with are operating at such a high level. Um, so yeah, it's it's still fun. It's still great. I'm really enjoying it. Um, and yet, here I am promoting a movie that uh, if they said, "Hey, do you want to direct uh, more movies?" I would gladly kick podcasting to the curb <laughs> in a second. So uh, yeah, so we're we're talking about the between two ferns, between two ferns, the movie. Which is uh, very exciting. The Between the, the Two the between. Ferns, the movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. What yeah. I said, yeah. Um, and it's uh, when we're when we're when this podcast comes out, it'll already be on Netflix. So yeah. I assume everyone listening has already watched. So it. what I would like people to do is, I'd like them honestly. You don't need to keep listening to this. Just stop <laughs> this. You already get the listen if they listen to yeah, ten think, seconds. Yeah, if they listen I to think the that's entire the rule, thing, yeah. Forget about this. Just <laughs> press stop on this. Turn on your TV, your computer, whatever you watch Netflix on. Look, I don't even care if it's your new iPhone 11. Topical reference. <laughs> and watch the Between Two Ferns. Sorry, the Between the Two Ferns, the movie. Right. And right. Uh, and and then uh, find me on the street and let me know what you thought. Uh, find out my address uh, any way you can and uh, come to my house in the middle of the night. Wake me up. Let me know what you thought of the film. So when I first heard that there was going to be a Between Two Ferns movie, my first thought was... After you fainted from shock. Yeah, I mean, I was so excited, but I thought, how is that going to work? So how how did you kind of think about it? How did this idea come to be, the idea of making a movie of this uh, series that you've been doing for over a a decade now? Yeah, 11 years or so. Well, you know, when you're on the internet and you're doing TV, it's approximately 29 frames per second and we were like we we only want to do 24 right right you know and uh, i know that 
you watch those Hobbit movies and they went all the way up to 48, but that's working too hard. And we were like, if we can do some sort of medium that takes out five frames per second, then it's like way less work. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we thought a movie was the the best way to go about that. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just something that we have wanted to do. I, I think in a certain way, having a movie validates these things in a way in the same mm. way that like SNL sketch movies like Wayne's World um, sort of takes something to another level and that's something that I've always wanted to sort of uh, embrace the challenge of doing. Yeah, I mean the the episodes of Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis are three, four, five minutes. Yeah, and so it does take some ingenuity to think of a way to make it into a you know a movie that's an hour and a half or whatever this one. Yeah, is. first we thought, well, let's just do a bunch of episodes and put them back to back, and that'll make ninety minutes. And then we said, <laughs> what if we did them simultaneously? And that was only five minutes. Yeah, that wouldn't work. Yeah, that didn't work at all. But um, no, I think. I think we we thought about it for a number of years and and it got sort of complicated for a little while. Mm, how so? Um, I think we were we we were getting too complicated in our minds with it. Like we we were sort of thinking like you of like does this deserve to be a big thing? Uh, well, if we need to make it deserve to be, and so mm, the plots got mm. very complicated in our heads. Yeah. Um, additionally, I think. Zach had a certain number of things that he wanted to put on screen that he was very passionate about at the time mm-hmm. that um, we, I kind of didn't feel like were should be part of the Between Two Ferns movie. I was like, I'm not sure if this is really your character. Um, and so he ended up making baskets with those ideas. Oh, really? So, yeah. But originally we were talking about those for Between Two Ferns. So... And then the plot got very complicated, and then at a certain point, we just put it all away and said, well, we'll get to this at some point. If, and, and I was doing my TV show mm. and, and got very caught up in it. And so when my TV show ended, it was kind of time to reapproach the material, and I took a look at it, and I was saying, you know, the, the types of, of movies that this should be, like the aforementioned Wayne's World, the yet-to-be-mentioned Borat, mm-hmm. the, oh, you better believe it, I'm going to mention it right now, this is Spinal Tap. Um, they all kind of have a very low-fi plot mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. And like if you watch Wayne's World, it's really them goofing around and doing scenes. And then every 20 minutes, there'll be a two-minute scene where someone comes in and goes, Wayne. That's his name, right? Yeah, in yeah. Wayne's World. Wayne, um, the your show has a new producer and you have to meet him. And then he meets Rob Lowe for two minutes, right? So... I kind of got inspired by that. I was just like, why are we trying to bend over backwards and make this the most complicated plot of all time? Mm-hmm. Um, let's just simplify it. And, and the idea just suddenly came in my head of uh, basing it sort of on the movie This is Spinal Tap, where it was a road movie across America. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why they do it just kind of you know popped in my head and, and it all sort of fell into place after that. Yeah, I mean, you kind of have created this... In the, in the series, we don't... You know, Zach is... Zach, the actor, for all we know, and in this movie, you've kind of created this bizarro world where he is—he hasn't gone on to be a movie star. He's just—I think the bizarro world is the, the one where he is a movie star. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the one I can't yeah. believe. Trump is president, and Zach is a movie star. <laughs> We've done something wrong. Um, but in this, in the movie, he—he he, all he does is between two ferns. That's yeah. his thing. And and 
we actually covered our bases in case that was confusing for people. And we, there are a few scenes that didn't make it in the film. Like, um, there's a really funny one where we did a full 45 minute take with Andy Daly playing, um, Zach's, uh, financial manager, mm-hmm. um, where we, where Zach was him as the movie star. And we were explaining why he's in this situation, because he's squandered his money on really uh, bad yeah. investments. Mm-hmm. And Andy came in with some funny investments and it's a really funny take. And when we put it in, the early audiences were confused by that because they already bought into the mm-hmm. to the world where he's not a movie star and he's right. just the guy who does this TV show. Um, so we all, that all of that stuff got jettisoned. But um, there were versions along the way where we were sort of like, I even wrote one scene where Zach and his friends go see a new movie called The Hangover and Jack Black's in it. Um, <laughs> Just to create the alternate universe. The alternate universe, universe exactly. Yeah. So, you know, but but we found that people, it wasn't confusing to anyone. Everyone got it right from the jump. Yeah. So, I mean, the movie is mostly improvised, right? Yeah, it so, is. A few random scenes were not, but um, what we wanted to do is, I started reading about This is Spinal Tap, the aforementioned This is mm-hmm, Spinal Tap. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The way that they did it was they filmed it like a documentary, right? So they just, they filmed interviews with the band, uh, with Rob Reiner interviewing them. They filmed scenes. Um, maybe they had not an, an idea of the plot, but if you watch all of the deleted scenes, there's just a ton of material out there. There's like, you know, so much with Bruno Kirby as the limo driver. And mm-hmm. when you watch the movie, he's in it for literally 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah. they, they follow him for an hour, it seems like, mm-hmm. where he's just talking about Frank Sinatra over and over. Um, so I... I, I know that Zach and I really wanted to do something that was kind of fun to film and freeing in a way that, that sometimes a modern studio comedy can't be where the script is the script and you can improv on top of the script, but the, we have to get the script and the lights are here and the, it's, the setup is so huge that we can't really fuck around. I, I made the Mr. Show movie mm-hmm. where the budget for that seemingly Every scene, you could only do two takes. That's run, runny, run. Run, runny, run. And so you have David Cross and Bob Odenkirk, two of the greatest um, comedic actors and improvisers, and um, they're only allowed to do two takes. And so they feel like they can't fuck around, so they're just doing the script. So was that a, a mistake in, in hindsight to say in it hindsight, that way? Yeah, yeah, because those guys are so funny. I remember, there's one scene where uh, where Bob ad-libbed something, and mm-hmm. it's so funny. It's funnier than anything in our script. Yeah. I was just like, oh, if only we could do a whole mm-hmm. movie like this. So I ha- with having a little bit of experience on my television show, Comedy Bang Bang, and then one that I produced, um, Bajillion Dollar Properties, which was filmed very similarly, where, mm-hmm. where we just filmed a bunch of scenes and then made them all make sense in an order later. Yeah. Um, and some scenes were shot the first season, some scenes were shot the fourth season, but we would put them together and make them all make sense. I thought, what if we could direct a movie like a real documentary where we set up the actual situations mm-hmm. we build a public access station um and we all know the situation and we all know that Zach uh as you said you know he he has a show once a week for a half an hour there there but he he arrives at the studio every day like it's his day job mm-hmm. and just wastes time acting like a big shot with a briefcase you know yeah. um we all know the situation. We know the relationships with the characters. Let's just start interviewing the characters and start having them do scenes without really any plot and then figure it out from there and 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 shoot it like a documentary once we get out on the road 
we'll just shoot a bunch of things. We'll shoot a bunch of interviews with celebrities. We'll ju- we'll shoot a bunch of stuff in hotels with them having adventures along the way. And then I'll get back in the editing room like a documentarian does and figure out the structure of the documentary in post. So that's, that's what we went into and we didn't write the scenes um, in any order. We wrote, you know, suggestions for the scenes and jokes and stuff, mm-hmm. but it was really a unique way to do a movie unless Spinal Tap did it the exact same way. <laughs> um, and really the only struggle in that is we shot essentially 10 hours of material, I think, and had to get it down to 82 minutes. And mm-hmm. then also we found that certain parts of it, um, when we were just kind of guessing how this story would go, needed to go back and be reshot now knowing where it was going. Mm-hmm. And um, But we had, we'd built that into the schedule. So there are a few scenes here and there that are written um, because they're scenes that make the whole thing yeah. make sense, if that makes sense. Is there anything that you that you kind of discovered while you were making it and and in an improv that then led to something else that did happen in the movie? That would happen all the time. I mean, uh, some of the things that pop into my mind right now are are Lauren Lapkus, uh, who's a great improviser, plays um, Zach's assistant. And early on in the schedule, in those first couple of days, um, we would do the interviews with people because we, we always said, okay, if you ever improvise something in the interview about your life, we want to have the ability to go film it mm-hmm. um, and use it as B-roll. Yeah. So she was talking about her responsibilities to Zach and some of the stuff I had written about, you know, the weird things that she does for Zach. And then at one point she remarked, I was just like, okay, try new stuff, try new stuff. And she was, and she just threw out the fact that she has to, um, that Zach doesn't read to-do lists, that she has to draw in a cartoon <laughs> form everything that he does all yeah. day. And that was so funny. I was like, okay, let's go film that. And yeah. so we just set up in the break room and, and had her draw it and you see it in the mm. movie. So there's stuff like that all throughout the movie where if it truly were scripted, it would never be in the movie. And these, these guys are all so genius that it was constantly elevating the, uh, the material above what I could have written. Yeah, I mean, you have Lauren Lapkus in the movie and uh, a bunch of other Comedy Bang Bang alums Ryan well. Gall, uh, who's on Comedy Bang Bang a lot and was in... Um, Look, I'm going to say it again. The aforementioned Bajillion Dollar Properties. Mm-hmm. He was a cast member on that. He plays uh, our camera operator. And uh, um, someone I saw at the UCB Theater uh, doing a showcase, Giovanni Linneo, she, uh, she's never done a movie before, but she's a great improviser. And so it's the four of them um, doing the movie. And uh, then uh, as well as, you know, the huge stars like Will Ferrell and Matthew McConaughey and, you know, Tessa Thompson and Paul Rudd and all the all the people who are in the movie. Yeah, I mean, you've always had such incredible, um, you know, guest stars, actors come on the Between Two Ferns um, show and you've done it again in this movie. What is the process like of I mean, it seems logistically it must have been very complicated to get all of those people and, and schedule it and, and make these interviews with Zach happened in the movie yeah it's hard the the one saving grace i had is this is the exact process that the tv show comedy bang bang went through and Mm -hmm. i had five years of that and the process on that is literally like we we have a couch guest for every episode and Mm -hmm. then we have three or four big comedy stars doing the plot stuff you know Mm -hmm. so when we would start, we would do five weeks at a time. It's like a giant puzzle. We have all of the scenes that we need to do, and almost all of them are based on someone's availability who will only give you a certain amount of time, and and not whenever you want, 
just on a certain day, right? And so it becomes a certain puzzle that you can stress out about and go, oh, God, how is this going to... But me and my ADs, we just kind of let it go. And our casting people, we were just kind of let it go and go, it'll all work out. We'll get it all done. Um, and that's sort of the process that we had to be in for the movie because when we started filming, we knew we needed... 15 interviews for mm-hmm. it um the 10 that he that he does on the road and then a few more to to fill out the movie but we maybe had one person maybe two people <laughs> who had agreed to do it yeah i think tiffany haddish was maybe on our first day or second day mm-hmm. um, so even when you started filming you didn't have everyone confirmed no. yet yeah. so we just knew we had to get the people including the 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 first scene in the movie Matthew McConaughey yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I, I feel like that must be one of the more ambitious things you've uh, had to direct we uh, we we built the public access station on one studio mm-hmm. um, on a lot and then we had to build that scene on an entirely different studio next door where they film glow um, where they do all of the uh, the wrestling stuff okay and so it's a giant set and we had to build a huge water tank <laughs> and um, we had to build a ramp uh, and the stunt guys showed me that they could build it so that the wave crested exactly the way I wanted it to. <laughs> so I like drew it. <laughs> I was like, could it, could it, ooh, I just hit the mic. Could it go like this? And they were mm. like, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> and then they build a, like a certain loop, you know, not wow. a loop, but a certain bump on it. And yeah. they go, yeah, there you go. So that was really difficult. But when we started, we had no idea who was going to do it. And we were just like going out to, and we knew it had to be, that's the other insane part. We knew it had to be one of the biggest movie stars in the world yeah. in order to and, impress people. And someone who was game to do yeah. it. So that became really difficult where every single day I would check in and say, so how did this person, you know, <laughs> are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? And um, it came down to the wire and finally, um, on our last day, literally the day before glow took over the studio again. Um, we got Matthew McConaughey in, and that was so great because, um, you know, I never expected him to have uh, to allow us to do the stuff that we do to him in yeah. it. <laughs> so yeah. it's really great to see, uh, and I'm excited for people to see yeah. it. He was totally cool with it. He yeah. was uh, he was down. Yeah, he was down, and you know, it's a challenge because every single person will only give you a certain amount of time. I think mm-hmm. I had two hours with him wow. to do all of that, yeah. including the interview, and and so you know, you got to like rush through some parts of it. But yeah, um, another person you have in the film is uh, David Letterman. Yeah. Was that a was that a big deal for you to get to direct David Letterman? Yeah, it was big. I mean, I you know, <laughs> when you said direct him, I maybe <laughs> asked How, <yeah>. him politely <laughs> to do something. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it was a big thrill because, you know, uh one of the reasons I got into comedy is in 1984, I think I saw Late Night for the first time and mm-hmm. it just kind of changed my life and changed my personality. Uh to where if I hadn't have been as hilarious as I was, uh, I would have been uh, maybe one of the more obnoxious people you'd ever <laughs> met. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was huge, and I'd never met him, and uh, didn't really want to bother him. And I, I, you know, when you direct something, the fear is to go up to someone and like say how much their work means to you or whatever. But I, I need to get the stuff done, you know, mm-hmm. and that's really mainly where I'm 
where I'm thinking about, but um, I did I did make him laugh once, which was which was nice. He we were filming a scene. It's not in the movie, but we were filming a scene where he welcomes Zach to his property, and um, he was standing next to a really loud ice maker, I think, or air conditioning vent. Mm-hmm. And, and I was giving him direction. I was like, "Okay, you stand there and you wave." And he like looks at me like I'm an idiot and he goes, <laughs> "Isn't this going to be a problem?" The super loud thing. <laughs> And I looked at it and I said, eh, we'll just get you in Burbank in a couple of months and get you in a looping studio. <laughs> you don't mind, right? And he was like, yeah, I'm going to loop this. Sure. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a thrill. Coming up, Scott tells an insane story about almost killing Peter Dinklage on the set of Between Two Ferns, the movie. Were there any other just sort of really hard uh, celebrity cameos to, to pull off in the movie that, that stand out or things that that almost didn't happen but did? You know, one of the more difficult ones, and not difficult because of him um, at all, uh, and I'll tell you why, was uh, Peter Dinklage. Um, Who has a, he has a pretty big role in the movie. He has movie. a pretty big role, and the reason why is because um, most people, like I said, will only give you... Um, I think the the least amount of time we had was maybe John Legend. We had him for 40 minutes at 7 a.m. <laughs> while he was filming his uh, um, Christmas special, which yeah. uh, my wife show ran. Oh, yeah. Um, and we actually got him back on another day to like mm-hmm. film another an additional scene with him because yeah. uh, he was so funny in it. But um, that's the challenge when you're doing this is everyone is so busy – and this is not the most, it's the most important thing to us, but mm-hmm. they're like, uh, the, do I have to? <laughs> yeah. You know, and everyone's telling him, you should, you should, it'll be good. <laughs> um, so every single person that we would talk about, I'd go, you know, they'd say, hey, this person's in. What are the limitations? Well, they'll only be here for an hour, so you got to do all this. So you sort of slot people into different slots that don't need to take a lot of time, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking to Peter Dinklage um, on the phone. He's in New York, and you know he just uh, sometimes the the star will want to talk to you and have a conversation about mm-hmm. it before just to see what they're getting into. You yeah. know, so um, we're talking to Peter Dinklage. I'd never met him at that point, and um, he's you know we're saying, "Yo, it's going to be fun for you. It's going to be fun." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, this all sounds good." Um, so how long do you need me? Like a week? <laughs> and I was like. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll take you for a week. He's like, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, if I'm going to fly out there, I want to work. Right. So we, that's why we slotted him mm, into the end. That's how is, he became that. that yeah. Part, the yeah. pivotal role because, you know, we knew there were a lot of scenes he needed to film mm-hmm. and he was able to give us so much time. That's so funny. So what made it difficult though, was, um, we, Filmed most of his scenes at this beautiful place in in the mountains somewhere. Like most of this movie was filmed somewhere in California and mm-hmm. in all these places that I would have to drive an hour and fifteen minutes yeah. or an hour and a half to standing in for places all over the country. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's in the but it's all in the middle of the TMZ as they call it the thirty mile zone, mm-hmm. which like you know then you don't have to pay all the crew right. for yeah, yeah. for travel. You know, so the furthest you can get in that zone mm-hmm. is usually the cheapest place. So we found this place. It was really cool. And from what I understood, uh, Frank Sinatra had sex with Marilyn Monroe in the jacuzzi. Oh, wow. Um, and um, so we arrived there in the morning and it's like super, super windy, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we're filming the stuff before Peter Dinklage gets there, which is the scene about, hey, let's go steal all of Peter Dinklage's stuff. And... Um, 
it's so windy outside that we're like, I don't know that we, this is usable, right? Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, we're hearing on the news that um, these fires are rampaging through the hills of California, right? Mm -hmm. So we go into the house, which is this beautiful, beautiful house with a wonderful view of the mountains. And we we just see smoke coming from behind the mountains, right? And we're like, well, that doesn't look good. (laughs) And so we start filming with Peter Dinklage and slowly the smoke becomes fire and the fire starts moving towards us. Wow. And we realize that we're going to be kicked out of this house really soon and that we're going to have to shut down. So um, this I've never done this before. We were like, we're not taking lunch. Um, we blew our lunch by mm-hmm. four hours, um, and uh, which is like an enormous <laughs> amount of money yeah. of, of, of like overtime for the crew. Mm-hmm. But I was like, we're not doing it. We, got, we have to film these scenes in this finish. house. We yeah. only have this house right now. So we actually worked out a way like, after four hours after lunch, uh, the fire marshals came to us and said, you have to shut down. We're, we're not filming anymore. But luckily, we'd filmed everything that we had to shoot in his actual house. Mm-hmm. And um, Peter very nicely came back on a different day and did all the rest of the stuff um, that we faked being in his house. But yeah. it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really difficult. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good thing you didn't uh, burn Peter Dinklage. That would, that would have been bad. Yeah. I I have thought about that occasionally. Like uh, we set Zach on fire once for the Bruce Willis episode that we mm-hmm. did, and right, um, yep. it's just at Funny or Die, and we had a stunt guy there. But I'm like, I don't want to be the director who <laughs> kills Zach Galifianakis <laughs> by setting him on fire. Yeah. Um, so I I do want to kind of go back and talk about the the origin of the of Between Two Ferns um, the series. Um, I read that it was originally part of a sketch comedy pilot for Fox. Is that is that right? Yeah, it it was um, it was something that that I did for a sketch comedy show. Um, it was a cool show. Uh, it had a great cast. It was like Maria Bamford and Casey Wilson, Natasha Leggero, Ian Edwards, Paul Rust, James Adomian, Brett Gelman, and John Daly were writers on. Wow. And occasionally, they would perform in it. Um, and uh, Dave Anthony was a writer on it, and uh, Neil Campbell was a writer on it. It was it was really good. It was really fun, and and um, that, was the, did, that was the Right Now show, the Right Now show, yeah. and I did that for a for a six month period or something. Mm-hmm. And um, I also wanted to have things that the cast weren't in, like disconnected things like cartoons and and stuff. So um, I knew that Zach didn't have time to be a cast member and he was too kind of too well established at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, This is what, 2000, this would have been 2008 or 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, he hadn't done the hangover yet, but he, he had his own talk show on VH1 Mm -hmm. and he was in movies. And so he wasn't going to like sign on to be, you know, a regular Mm -hmm. on the show, but very nicely he was like, yeah, let me come and do something on the show. Um, and I'd worked with him previously with Bob Odenkirk on things, you know, like David's situation and, um, the, uh, next pilot that we did together where he did something similar. He just came on and did one sketch and Mm -hmm. leave. So I thought, okay, it'll be something like that. So, um, so I, I got together with him and I said, Hey, what do you want to do? And, and he, we batted ideas back and forth and he said, you know, it'd be really funny to do like a talk show. He didn't know what the tone of it would be. But he said, um, you know, I used to have a public access show and I've always wanted to do a show called Between Two Ferns. 
um, which I laughed at really hard because I had had a public access show growing up and I knew that the aesthetics of the public access show, they don't have a lot of money to do yeah. stuff. So essentially you'll get a curtain, you'll get two chairs and to fill up the space, you'll get two big plants next yeah. to you to make it look like, you know, there's something there. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just an empty void in wasteland. So that made me laugh really hard. So we said, well, let's just improv it. Um, I got Michael Sarah. Uh, who was going to do something for the show. And I said, let's do this together. And, and we just improv it in a basement um, where the right, we, we were our writer's room basement. <laughs> yeah. We didn't even have a set at that point. We just did it in a basement and um, it was really fun. And our editor, Dan strange um, who was doing the whole show did a really good job with it and, and picked the music and did the font and edited it together. There, I don't think there were any notes. We were just like, this is great. Yeah. Awesome. Have I told you that I enjoyed the movie super bad? No. Good. But it, it, a lot of fun. It's a fun movie to watch, fun movie to go take a friend to. What do you think about the inappropriate humor for, let's say, a 12-year-old, somebody your age, uh, that maybe they aren't ready for that kind of vag talk? I think it's, uh, you know, any kind of, for a young person, any kind yeah, of... Yeah, I think it's any, any kind of young person. For any kind of, uh, any kind of inappropriate talk. Mm -hmm. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Vaginal or otherwise. It might be, uh, you know, just, hey, don't go see it. <laughs> You're right about that. Oh, God. Too much fun. And it was always a favorite of the live audience when we showed it to the live audience for mm -hmm. the show. And then the show ended up not going. And so, you know, I like showed it at the UCB here and there, but we knew it was really funny and everyone would laugh at it. So um, at a certain point, we, um, Funny or Die had just been established. And so we put it up there and then, you know, millions of people decided to watch it. Yeah. I mean, in a way, it does seem like it, it works better maybe on the internet than it would have in a sketch show in some ways, just because it became such a shareable thing. Yeah. I think, I think we were sort of going for the same thing that the Lonely Island guys did with the digital mm -hmm. shorts, which was, you know, do something that would work on the internet and a TV show, you know, um, that's sort of what we were going for. And in fact, when it's in the cut, of the TV show, it has it has like people laughing over it, like SNL, you know. So, which is a weird way to watch the. Mm -hmm. <laughs> only two episodes have had that. The Jimmy Kimmel one was on the Jimmy Kimmel show. It premiered oh, yeah. on that, and then that one. So it was interesting, but um, we sort of, and then then we forgot about it. And we just were like, oh, that was fun. And then Jimmy Kimmel wanted to do one, and mm -hmm. and uh, on his show, and and we sort of were like, okay, I guess we could do another one, but this whatever. 
and then we were done with it. And then then our friend John Hamm became famous, <laughs> and he was like, "Hey, what if we did it between two ferns?" And I was like, uh, "Okay, yeah, let's let's try it." And that one was so fun. We were like, "I think this might be a real thing." And, and then Natalie Portman, who none of us knew reached out and said, I really love the Between Two Ferns. Can I do one? And wow. then we were like, okay, this is this is real. Yeah, and at that point, did you have people starting to reach out to you a lot? I mean, were there a lot of people that you that you turned away or were like, no? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would say more people have turned us down than we've yeah. turned away. Um, yeah, occasionally that'll happen where someone will approach us and say, this person really wants to do it. And really the only, the only thing for me is artistically uh if i may use that word is um i i have to there has to be enough to talk about Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so someone who's just starting out their career is kind of hard because where do you make the jokes Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so because there's always there's always a lot of references to their work projects and their their personal life so Mm -hmm. the best person is someone who's done a lot of really bad movies (laughs) and also has had a disaster of a personal life yeah so, um, and occasionally you'll hit one or the other, like Justin Bieber had been going right. through a spell of a, a terrible mm-hmm. PR nightmare of a personal life. And so that was really fun. Um, yeah, I just, I just rewatched all, uh, all 20 of them, oh, wow. uh, which you can do on YouTube in a couple hours. And, uh, I recommend that to anybody. Sure. Stop this right now as a matter. Don't yeah. even watch the movie. Yeah. Watch all these watch on YouTube. Those, yeah. Uh, and the Justin Bieber one definitely felt like he was there to do some some damage control because uh, he talked about the Anne Frank. Uh, that was all us. He, and, he, yeah. he, I bet he would rather not talk about yeah. that stuff. And I don't think he was there to mm-hmm. do damage control. He was there because he liked all the episodes okay. and just wanted to do it. Yeah. We'd never tell the people what we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. So we're nicely enough, we'll say if there's ever a joke that you think you don't want in, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. But um, no, he was he was great. He never said yeah. that anything was off limits or whatever. And in fact, like Zach was whipping him with a belt at one point and <laughs> um, he didn't expect that, and, yeah. uh, but rolled with it. So yeah. Well, a couple of years later, he did the Comedy Central roast, so he must have enjoyed uh, getting roasted. I guess, yeah. I didn't know he did that. Yeah. Was did, it he roasting did, him or he yeah, just- he was w- the, Yeah, he, was, he got roasted. Oh, that's uh, cool. I think two, year, two years any after. any of our jokes? Uh, there's probably some some overlap. Some overlap, but, uh, yeah. There would have to but, be, but yeah. Um, so I mean, in general, you know, besides the having stuff to talk about in the career and personal life, what do you think makes a good guest on the show in terms of how they behave and and how do you, and what kind of conversations do you have with them before they come on? I usually have to have a conversation. Um, first of all, ascertaining on my end whether they know what the show is. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's happened a few times where someone doesn't know the show and then, and I've assumed that they know the show and I no longer can assume that. Mm -hmm. So I have to instruct them what the show is if they've never seen it before. But more than that, most people have seen the show and then know what it is. So mostly it's just like, Hey, here's the process. Um, and most importantly, the jokes are kind of mean if that's okay. (laughs) Um, so that's that's mainly what we have to do with everyone. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's I think what makes a good guest the class. I, I think Between Two Ferns classic is a sort of my favorite. Just people getting insulted and getting mad. Mm-hmm. We've tried to mix it up a little bit over the years where, um, you know, 
Steve Carell, the one that we did with Steve Carell, mm-hmm. we were like, hey, we have an idea. What if you try to insult Zach back? And and we wrote yeah, a bunch of insults. He got like, defensive really early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, I've seen the show. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready for you. And that was really fun. Uh, I really love The Office. And I think that uh, you did such and a great... And you love Ricky Gervais. Uh, I see where you're going. I've watched your show. I know what you do. Oh, I got you confused. I got you confused with the good one. Right? Oh, no, I didn't mean your office. I meant the good one. And scene. It does seem like if people are trying to be funny, that might not work as well as if they're just kind of reacting to how they would react if this was really happening to them. Yeah, agreed. It usually will do all the work when it comes to the editing mm. and writing the jokes and Zach. And, you, you know, you can... Um, I love it when people throw it back at Zach, like Paul Rudd, you know, his interview is super funny where he's just laying into Zach, mm, yeah. you know, and um, so I like that as well. But yeah, usually you don't have to try to, to do much other than just sit there and be a good sport. Coming up, Scott tells the story of how President Obama ended up on Between Two Ferns and the one joke his staff wanted to cut. So I do want to talk a little bit about the uh, the Obama episode from sure. 2014, which was a, a very big deal. And uh, as people might know or not know, it Funny or Die, when you put that episode out, became the the top refer to healthcare.gov and, and is actually, the episode is credited with really helping um, spur signups for Obamacare, which yeah, is... Yeah, I think it was failing <laughs> and um, it was interesting because... I had been to a meeting a few months prior with uh, Valerie Jarrett, who mm-hmm. um, came and met a bunch of people uh, at Funny or Die and, and people who, who just even Hollywood people who were Funny or Die put it together. But it was like a bunch of like Hollywood players trying to come up with ideas of how to make videos that would steer people to the Affordable Care Act. And I, I kind of think like um, – I think a lot of that stuff's really lame. <laughs> like, or, or it can be very lame. Yeah. It can be really lame. And the reason it can be really lame is because, um, you know, everyone's so protective of what gets out there into the world, right? So if you see a politician on a, on a late night talk show, if they're reading jokes, all I can think about is the speechwriters that have gone through and redlined jokes. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. just all seem so safe and they all... They don't seem dangerous at all, you know? And so, you know, people were batting ideas back and forth. And really, I was just there to say, like, hi, he should do Between Two Ferns. That, <laughs> that, that was that my was only your, idea. That was your yeah, I was like, we'd love to have him on. Uh, he should do that. I have mm-hmm. no other ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I, good day. <laughs> I said good day, madam. <laughs> I overturned the table. Yeah. Um, that was really all I wanted to do with it. And, um, when it finally became something that it looked like he would do, um, and I've been this in this opportunity or, or this headspace at least a couple of times with people, is when you start having their people sort of try to shape it and preemptively get in there and go like, mm-hmm. okay, well, let's talk about what's really going to happen. Obviously, you can't do it like you do a real between two. You know, is that what happened with him? That's what. Okay, so that's what happened, but. And this has happened a few times in my life where um, the opportunity is is great, but it's not worth it if they're going to make you compromise to that extent, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. I, I just kind of had to lay down the law with both Obama's people and Hillary Clinton's people and then some of even the stars out there of like, this is the way we do it. Um, 
we have to have final cut over it. Um, you can't there. Yes. You, we can talk about jokes that you don't want in there, but we have to be able to make hard jokes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise this is pointless, you know? So, um, so the Obama people like really got behind that. Yeah. And to the extent where like, there's one joke in it, I think where Zach says, so how does it feel to be the last black president? <laughs> Which kind of seems prescient at this point. Yeah. I have to know, what is it like to be the last black president? Seriously? What's it like for this to be the last time you ever talk to a president? It, it must kind of stink though that you can't run, you know, three times, you no, know? Actually, I think it's a good idea. Uh, you know, if I ran a third time, it'd be sort of like doing a third hangover movie. It didn't really work out very well, did it? Obama's people were like, hey, that's just not going to fly. And then I said, oh, man, that's the funniest joke. <laughs> and, and his speechwriter said, you know what? I spent all day cutting stuff out because of how people are going to react to it. I don't want you guys to go through that. Go ahead. Do the joke. Mm-hmm. Do the joke. And we were like, what? Are you kidding? Okay, great. Yeah, we'll do it. And and um, t- and then right before we did it, Zach comes over to me with the script, goes, hey, I'm cutting this joke. And I go, <laughs> no, 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 you have to do it. He I goes, just fought for that. Yeah, he goes, no, 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 he's not going to like it. Trust me. Um, I, and I had to say, no, it's approved. They yeah. know you're going to say it. He's expecting you to say it. It'll throw you if he doesn't say yeah. it, <laughs> right? So that's how you know, we, we got it in. But um, And who came up with the Obama's comeback? Uh, did he improvise that or does that I can't that, remember uh, there was yeah. there was a fair amount of improv in it that's the mm-hmm. only one where where uh, the, where there was more of a script but those mm-hmm. guys were actually improvising during it but um, yeah I mean it, it, it just and even then that night like we wrapped and it was really successful it was a good shoot and even then like people from the White House were coming up to me saying like, for, well, first of all, the transcript of it, like, I guess everything Obama says or does gets is, written down, gets yeah. written down and then circulated throughout the building that <laughs> so night. People you probably know? Didn't, didn't expect to see some of that stuff in there. They didn't expect it, but they the, the word got around that everyone loves this transcript. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. like, this is really funny. So, um, but even then we were sort of celebrating that night and some of Obama's people came up to me and they said, hey, so um, that was really funny. But, um, obviously it can't be like that. Like, like, well, you know, right now you have a six minute video where you talk about the affordable care act for the last 30 seconds. Obviously we got to make it more like a 33 minute video where most of it is talking about the affordable care act. And I was like, no, (laughs) um, that makes it not cool anymore. It just makes it an ad and no one, no one will share an ad. Mm -hmm. No one cares about an ad. So I, I kind of put my foot down and said, no, it's got to be, this ratio of jokes to Affordable Care Act. And I wish more people would learn that lesson when it comes to doing stuff in politics. Hillary Clinton, to her credit, yeah. and her people as well, it's, they let us do what yeah, we wanted. It's kind of amazing that you got her on the show because she was kind of notoriously careful in her campaign to a fault, I think. And she wanted to do it. That yeah. was one where we heard Barack Obama wanted to do it and found out later he had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> she requested it and said, mm-hmm. I'd like to do a between two ferns like uh, the one President Obama did. So, um, yeah, they let us do what we wanted to do and just made it funny. Now, did it work for them like it worked for the ACA? <laughs> yeah. Didn't put her over the top. <laughs> I guess not. We maybe even hurt her chances, but um, yeah, yeah. Do you think there's anything to that uh, that that idea that, that celebrity kind of endorsements actually hurt people now because it's, it's uh, considered um, Uncool. elitist or, uh, you know, 
I don't care about any of that stuff. I, I, <laughs> I, it, as look, yes, I personally, as a man mm-hmm. and a human being, um, I wanted the, the Affordable Care Act to, to be successful, mm-hmm. um, just due to, you know, circumstances in my personal life and, you know, having family members who were being turned down for insurance and, and things like to, of that nature. So I wanted it to work, but more importantly, as a director and as a, you know, comedian making these things, I just wanted it to be a funny video. And so that's the same thing with the Hillary Clinton thing is, is like, let's put out a funny video. Who even knows if that stuff helps anyone anymore? But um, that's mm-hmm. my only goal. Yeah. Yeah. Just to be funny. Yeah. Um, does the movie feel like an end point of this project or does it, does it something that you imagine is going to continue into the, into the future? Um, I, at a certain point while we were making it, it got so difficult that um, in terms of the how we did it got to be so difficult because we stacked all the easy stuff first. Uh, we built that public access station. We had all the fun stuff. And then we started doing like, you know, car crashes and <laughs> people in the middle of the desert in the middle of the night and 30 degree weather and, you know, rain towers, Zach's constantly rained on in the mm-hmm. movie. And so all the hard stuff kind of got put at the end. And, and at a certain point, I think, you know, uh, Zach especially was saying like, uh, I think this is the end of between two ferns and, um, and I, in my mind, I'm just like, yeah, you say that now, but <laughs> you know, in four months, the rock calls us up yeah. and we're back to making the videos, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, or and the, of course I saw Zach yeah. after a couple of months the other day and he was like, so what do we think about a sequel? <laughs> so, you know, I think I think that it could continue on. Definitely, I don't think it's an endpoint. Yeah, and and then if the twenty twenty uh, Democratic candidate calls you up, uh, you may have to do that as well. I mean, I guess similarly, it would have to be someone that we had stuff to talk about. Right. Uh, you know, if they had a campaign that was like Justin Bieber's career, yeah, <laughs> then there's some stuff to do. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who knows. Um, so what I want to do now is kind of go through some of your other credits that we didn't get a chance to talk about and just see if there's a, a story or, or memory sure. that, that pops out. Um, so I want to start with, with Mr. Show, uh, which was, that. uh, which was one of your, you know, um, original things that you did on TV. Was it the first, uh, kind of gig f- that you had? First job ever acting on TV and my first writing job on TV as well. Yeah. And so, oh, my first Emmy nomination. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh, you know, it I'm sure a lot stands out from that experience, but what yeah. what is there a story or, or memory that that jumps to mind when you think about You know, the your first time? thing that jumped to mind and um is just one day we were um those guys were really nice in in letting us um if you wrote a, a sketch, you you sort of not directed it, but you were like a producer of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'd go to the set and you'd, you know, sort of tell the directors what you had in mind and stuff. So I remember one day, um, I was just laughing. It was the most insane day in show business. There were, um, all of these Buddhist monks, uh, hanging out and, and, um, there were several live animals, including like a burrow <laughs> And then all of us were dressed like Hitler <laughs> and it was just like one of the craziest show busy days, mm-hmm. you know, where it's just like, well, you know, you expect like the, sp- the uh, gladiator to walk yeah, by. Yeah. And, um, so that was really fun. But yeah, I mean, definitely taught me a lot about comedy and, and, um, 
but the 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 fun days were like the days filming Jeepers Creepers out in the desert with Jack Black. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like, you know, me and Sarah Silverman are, are extras in it. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, the days when we were all just young and, and, you know, willing to drive on a bus to the middle of the desert and film all day for these guys, mm-hmm. you know, it was super fun. Yeah. Uh, you played a policeman on the Palestinian chicken episode of Kirby Enthusiasm. Yeah. What do you remember from, was that one day or what do you remember from that? <laughs> it was, okay. So it was two days. The funniest thing about that day was I got the part and it was really just Jeff Garland giving me a part. Mm-hmm. I never, I don't think I ever auditioned for it. He just like gave me a part. It was very nice. And, um, so I'm, I'm there, uh, you know, he films on the west side. I think he, uh, from what I've heard, he has a nothing on the other side of the 405 rule. Oh, really? <laughs> um, so he's... Makes it convenient yeah. for him. So he, we're out there on the west side, and we're, we're at some place, and I'm waiting for my scene. And, um, you know, they're like, okay, you're coming up. You're in the next scene. And I'm just kind of sitting there. And then suddenly, like, 5 p.m., happens and everyone goes it's a wrap (laughs) and everyone just like started putting everything together i was like what's going on the i haven't finished i haven't shot my scene what are we talking about and everyone just like zoom makes their way for the you know everyone starts folding up the director's chairs all that kind of of stuff just getting on the on the uh on the vans in the passenger vans and i'm left going like hey um I don't know if you know this, but my scene was never shot. They're like, we'll get to it. <laughs> and I I think I realize, and I think I'm right about this, but it, um, I, I believe he must have an, like a, a nine to five rule yeah. where no matter what you're doing, everything <laughs> stops at 5 p.m. So then a month went by and really? I was like, anything going on with that Curb Your Enthusiasm? And they're like, we'll get to it. Did you at that point figure that you'd been cut out of the I episode? I thought I'd or? been cut out or that they, I'd been replaced or mm. whatever, but... um. A month later, suddenly they're like, all right, we found a, a, a hole in the schedule to, to film that scene. So um, I got there and and uh, I, I sort of met, we, we, you know, we, uh, the, the people who were in charge of it, we had mutual friends. And so I was talking to them and then, you know, gradually like Larry sidled up to us and just started talking because I was talking to the, you know, the people behind the show and... Um, I was about to, I was going to Kurt Russell's house from the set to film something for a video that we did. We, we, we made a version of We Are the World for mm. a charity record with a bunch of comedians and he introduced the video. So it's on Funny or Die or, or I don't, I'm not sure if Funny or Die has videos up anymore. But, um, but I was going to his house mm. and like Larry was like, oh, you're going to Kurt Russell's house. Oh, where's he live now? You know, it's just like small <laughs> talk with Larry David about Kurt Russell is very <laughs> surreal. So then then um I I did make him laugh once which was really fun which was um I basically was there as a police officer merely to say that there were protesters and that um he had to take a different route or something mm-hmm. like that, you know. So he the scene is he rolls down his window. He's like, "Hey, wh- hey, what's going on?" And I'm like, "Hey, there's protesters over there, so you got to take a different route." But we're improving it and he's like um, I got to take a different route. And I'm like, sir, I'm going to ask you to roll your window up right now. <laughs> He's like, you can't, what? And then he laughed <laughs> like, like you can't do that as a police officer. That's not against the law. So that was fun. That was, it was cool to make him laugh in a scene. Let's 
going on? We're rerouting traffic for a protest rally. Some Palestinian chicken place opening up next to a deli. Can you move forward, please? What can you what can you tell me about the new Andy Dick show pilot that you made? What was it like working with Andy Dick? Okay, so I worked with Andy when he was on probation, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um and he had an ankle monitor on. Wow. So and I had never met Andy. Um my only experience with Andy was um I once was showing um Bananas, the Woody Allen movie at the UCB. Um, this was a week ago, and I loved it. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> so I was showing Bananas because it's one of Bob Odenkirk's favorite movies. Mm-hmm. So Bob, Bob was introducing it, um, and then we w- would watch it, and I would interview him about it. I did that with a lot of comedians and their favorite movies over the years. Um, so uh, Bob's up there introducing the movie and welcoming everyone, and then Andy, this is when he was drinking, was in the back of the theater. And was like, what are you doing? And started like uh, going, fuck you, Bob Odenkirk. Heckling from the back. Heckling from the back. And Bob was like, hey, buddy. <laughs> hey, man, we're all worried about you. Um, you can't act like this, buddy. And Andy started going like, I'm sorry, and crying. And, and it wasn't a bit? or it, was? it wasn't a bit. And he was like, I love you. I'm so sorry. And then he's like, buddy, I'm doing a show. You got to get out of here. And so Andy like sort of sadly moves off and then Oof. right as he goes through the door he's like fuck you <laughs> <laughs> and I was like okay well that's my Andy Dick experience but uh, um, so when you got the chance to work with him you jumped on it well Comedy Central said hey do you want to do a show with Andy Dick it's like guaranteed to make a pilot and I said well I gotta you know this is my only experience with him I gotta meet him and he was he was on an ankle monitor and everyone had told me everyone who's worked with him over the years on the Ben Stiller show um, and other things said Andy's like the biggest sweetheart in the world mm-hmm. when he's sober. Yeah. So, um, you know, I talked to him and it was, it was interesting, you know, I'd never talked to anyone who's wearing an ankle monitor for being sober before, you know, the fact that it like injects a needle into his wow. leg every hour or something like that and takes, you know, a sample of his blood and sends it to, you know, That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. So I'd never... I really liked Andy and I really like I got a good six months with him where he was completely sober and just wanted to work. And um, it was really a great experience. And I really grew grew very fond of him. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, talking to him about his troubles, he was genuinely apologetic for them. And, um, you know, I kind of. I kind of see him, you know, like he was on Comedy Bang Bang a couple of times and some people go, well, why do you have him on Comedy Bang Bang? And I think, you know, he reached out to me to say that no one was casting him and he really wanted to work. And, you know, I think at a certain, but but that he was sober and he wanted to work. And I think at a certain point, like, you know, we can't just cancel people outright unless they've done something like, super terrible and if someone is is has a disease and is addicted we have to give them some sort of you know uh some sort of carrot at the end of the stick to remain sober Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so that was kind of important to me i was like okay if you're telling me the truth and you 
are indeed sober, then come come do some stuff on my show. And it, it won't be like the normal. Normally he gets cast as a fuck up or as Andy Dick, the celebrity who's mm-hmm. not sober. And I was just casting him in comedy parts because he's so funny. Yeah. Really great sketch actor. So that's the Andy Dick that I like to work with. Yeah. And, and he cameoed on Between Two Ferns, too. Yeah. And that as the uh, thing that he normally gets cast yeah. at as, as the fuck up. But no, I, I, I hope, you know, I, 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 I have made a decision not to, not to uh, hang out with him when he's not sober. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope uh, every day that he remains um, okay and, and, you know, gets to a place where he can be. Yeah. Um, so one other thing that I did want to touch on is one of my favorite things that you've ever done, which is analyze fish. Ooh. Which uh, uh, you may not know this, but I am a, a, a fish fan. Did we talk about that last time I met you? We didn't get a chance to talk about okay. it, which was a which was a bummer. You and we didn't get a chance. We talked a little bit about Harris Whittles um, in that um, oral history, but not as much as I as I would have liked. Okay. Um, so what do we have? Another hour to talk yeah. about <laughs> the thing you want to talk about? Um, but uh, no, I mean, I, I just wanted to to touch on it and just tell you that I, I loved that that podcast so much. Um, fish is not something that gets. Um, a lot of Press. mainstream uh, coverage or, you know, talked right. about a lot. So when it is, it, it's pretty funny. It's thrilling to the fans. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. And there was just, it, there was something kind of thrilling about it. Uh, and it was just so funny, uh, your dynamic with Harris on that. Um, yeah, if people haven't heard it, basically it was a show where Harris Whittles, um friend of mine, uh, was a, a fish fan. And that was part of his personality that I could never quite fathom um, because he was a smart, educated guy who went to college. And the fact that he... Like most fish fans. Sure. Okay. Yeah. But the fact that he had this side of his personality where he would go to every fish show and, and you know, listen to all, all of the shows, the, you know, the minute they were posted to the internet um, and sit there discussing... Um, these lyrics with with fans. <laughs> I just found that to be confounding. So um, so he came to me and said, hey, why don't we do a show where I try to get you to like the band? And then I think my contribution was I came up with the title mm-hmm. um, and uh, the poster <laughs> where, <laughs> where I'm uh, uh, Robert De Niro and he's Billy Crystal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was it was great. I mean, it was it was something that we just did for fun and um around the fourth episode when we went to a, a fish show together at Madison Square Garden, suddenly like everyone was recognizing us from mm-hmm. Analyze Fish and I suddenly started to realize how big of a reach that the show had, at least within the fish community and yeah. I started feeling very bad that I was slamming <laughs> the, the band as hard as I was. Um, yeah, and then of course, sadly, Harris passed away, you know, several years ago. Um, but I think it it is that that show and all of his appearances on Comedy Bang Bang are just such a testament to how funny he was. He was great, and uh, you know, the the one thing about podcasts they're they're meant to be ephemeral and sort of like time wasters or mm-hmm. or time biters. Mm-hmm. Like you know, there's stuff we listen to to sort of get through the day, but um, you know, several people. Uh, at his uh, at at sort of a makeshift memorial service we had for him, um, came up to me and said that that they how great it was that there was a a legacy and a recording of of what he did, and they're all out there that people can hear. You know that um, 
his episodes of Comedy Bang Bang and Analyze Fish are out there. People can hear them and that people, when they need to sort of hear his voice or, or get a laugh from what he did, they're all out there and they can, they can hear him. So that's, that's cool, I think. Because a lot of people who are no longer with us, we you know, don't have that. We have the random iPhone movie that we shot with them and mm-hmm. that's about it, you know. So yeah. it's cool that there's so much of his work out there. Yeah. So as to not end on a on a down note, uh, we end every episode by asking the guest, what's the last piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard? Could be a movie, a TV show, someone you saw perform live, just anything that you've that you've seen uh, recently that really that really got you. Um, I if something is really funny to me, it like really gets me and I sit there just like uh, my wife. Uh, calls me the giggle puss because I'm just <laughs> sitting there like dying laughing. So the one that pops in my mind is really Detroiters. Mm-hmm. I loved every episode of Detroiters and Tim Robinson um, and Sam. Are, they're so funny. And um, so I I just loved, loved that. Um, and I if, if I had my way and I was you know, owning a TV network, uh, that would just be, they would, you know, we would grow old with them the mm-hmm. way we are with Veronica Mars, you know, <laughs> just keep checking in with the Detroiters. Well, you never know. Any, anything has the potential to come back someday at this point. Yeah. At this point, I mean, even the comedy bang, bang TV show, all episodes are on Netflix for the moment. Although I hear they may be jumping to Hulu. Um, you know, I w- it would not surprise me if at some point, you know, IFC or whomever was like, Hey, what if you guys did more shows? Yeah. You know, that'd so. be great. Uh, and the same thing with Between Two Ferns. Like I said, you know, it, it uh, could we could be back in production yeah. uh, in, in a few months. Well, so. it's always very exciting when a new episode just appears online. So uh, yeah. we'll look forward to that. Great. All right. Well, congrats on the movie. Uh, everyone you. can watch it now on Netflix. Um, they're already watching. They're, they've, they've stopped already, listening. Yeah, they stopped listening hours ago and yeah. they're, they're watching it now and enjoying it. Great. All right. Thanks. Thank you again to Scott Ackerman. Between Two Ferns, the movie is now streaming on Netflix. And I will tell you, make sure to watch it through to the end credits for what was probably my favorite part of the film. If you enjoy this show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. The Last Laugh is distributed by Himalaya Media for The Daily Beast. It is produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch for Starburns Audio and edited by Mackenzie Mazel. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. I think we know the rest of the story. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.